You're listening to True Stories Told Live. Welcome to Speakeasy, where our tellers get on stage with their whole, authentic, beautifully human selves and speak their experience. No notes, just the memory of a life lived. On our stage, you'll hear humor, hope, embarrassment, disappointment, grief, lust, anger, love, remembrance, the whole brilliant and nuanced spectrum of what it is to live as individuals in community with others. Here at Speakeasy, our incredibly gracious audience holds all of it, sighing together, laughing together, crying together, and cheering our hearts out together. There's a symbiotic thing we've got going here between our tellers and our listeners where each person creates that sacred space that just unflinchingly holds each other's stories, where we bear bits of our souls and bear witness. Join us the first Thursday of every month in Columbus, Ohio, at 7 p.m., where we gather at Wild Goose Creative, nestled in amongst the gallery's newest art exhibit. With a simple theme as inspiration, 10 tellers sign up, brave up, Step up in front of a microphone and get honest. What you're about to hear is one of those stories. Hello. You're right. I am a first-time teller, so hopefully I don't mess it up too bad, but thanks for listening. (laughs) So I found out I was pregnant a few weeks before high school graduation, which meant that on graduation night when all of my peers were throwing up from drinking too much beer, celebrating their future, I was throwing up because I had all-day morning sickness. It was kind of crazy. I'd taken the pregnancy test a few weeks before in the comic book store where my 20-year-old boyfriend worked, and I've been pro-choice ever since I was really old enough to understand what that meant, so maybe like 11 years old. Um, But for some reason, you know, the more we were talking, the strength of our five-month relationship, um, (laughs) just something inside of me, something with both of us, I just felt strongly that having this child continuing this pregnancy was the right choice for me. And, you know, I felt like, I feel like I can be a good mom, I feel like I can provide this child with a good life, and I feel like that's going to be enough, right? Like, I know I'm young, but, like, who is ever ready to be a parent? I know I'm poor, but, like, who has money, you know? Like, (laughs) so I thought, you know, this will be fine. Like, in the eyes of society, all I need to do is be a great mom to this baby, Um, who at the time was probably the size of a fingernail, but, you know, in my mind, thinking ahead, and that'll be enough. I was wrong, and (laughs) the first clue that I was wrong was probably when I first went to the OBGYN to actually confirm what I found out on my little dollar store P-test, and (laughs) there were no congratulations, there was no speculation about the eye color, maybe what the gender would be. Instead, I was handed a pamphlet from an anti-choice crisis pregnancy center titled Adoption, the Loving Option, and I was asked a bunch of no-brainer questions like, under what circumstances do you think it's okay to shake a baby? And, (laughs) you know, just a few weeks before that, I had been kind of like weighing out my options with my guidance counselor, and she's like, you know, you should do this, and you could go here, and... Now, you know, I had this appointment with this doctor, and then I went to, I didn't have a job either at the time, Um, side note. Um, 
And so I went to like a temp agency and they're like, well, you could probably work like third shift at a gas station or something like that. And I just sort of felt like all of my hopes just sort of deflating like my graduation party balloons. But I still had hope. I was like, well, I'm just pregnant right now. Like nobody knows what kind of mom I'm going to be. But I know that I can be a good mom. And once this baby's born, I'm just going to show that I'm a great mom. And everyone's going to know, you know, that teen parents can be good parents too. But once again, I was wrong. Um, <laughs> it just seemed like everywhere I went, assumptions and stereotypes just kind of followed me around. Um, just thinking back on it, honestly, like from ever since when he was born and my mom visited me in the hospital, and the nurses came in and they started like talking to her and telling her like, no, when, when you get home, you need to do this for the baby. And so I wasn't right there, as though I didn't live in a different apartment, um, you know, from my mom with my brand new husband. Um, there were just so many things, like, I um, I know, like, just a few years before that, Bill Clinton had declared teen pregnancy to be, like, one of the biggest social ills facing the country, so I was kind of up against a lot of that. Um, there had been this whole, like, massive ad campaign to prevent teen pregnancy that focused on these big ads that had things, like, dirty and nobody, like, splashed across these pictures of, like, pregnant and parenting women. Um, and so I was kind of up against a lot of that, but it was really interesting because I felt like everywhere I went, like, there were just all these weird assumptions, like, the doctor's office, they're like, are you the nanny? And then, you know, um, when I would take my son out for his walk and push him in the stroller, even the cat callers would be like, hey, you need a daddy for that baby? <laughs> like, um, it was just, like, kind of everywhere I went, even, like, when my son was a little bit older and I signed up for a few classes at the community college, uh, one of the classes I was taking was called Social Problems. And I'm kind of flipping through my textbook, and right there, like, in the glossary at the end was teen pregnancy, just kind of cataloged as, like, a huge social problem right between, like, gang violence and, you know, domestic abuse is just, like, my life. Um, and it was really weird because, like, when I looked in the mirror, I couldn't really see what made me such a big problem. Like, all I saw was, like, I, I looked pretty tired, but I was determined to take on the world with a baby on my hip, you know? I didn't feel like what had changed about me, my character hadn't altered the moment that I decided to have my son. And I thought, you know, when I was younger, um, I kind of thought that, like, maybe as I got older, you know, first I thought when I was pregnant, well, maybe when I get married, but still not enough. So I thought, maybe when my son is born and I show that I can be a good parent, but it still wasn't enough. And then I thought, well, maybe I just need to get older. Like, maybe when I'm 21 and after three years of being a parent, I can legally buy a beer. Maybe then people will take me seriously. Or maybe, like, when I'm 25 and I can rent a car and drive my seven-year-old around. Or, like... Maybe when I'm 30, because plenty of 30-year-olds have kids. But all those ages came and went, and eventually I realized that even though I have passed that arbitrary line in the sand that says that I am now old enough to be a mom, I'll never be old enough to be my kid's mom. Um, the only thing that's really changed for us is that like, now, instead of thinking I'm the nanny or the babysitter, once he reached six feet tall in like 10th grade, people started thinking I was his date, which was like... <laughs> Really awkward, not super fun for him either. Um, <laughs> it's not what you want. <laughs> um, 
But the more I thought about it, I thought about all the times when I was younger that I let myself be shamed by what other people thought of me and by this narrative that I was handed about people's perceptions about what my life was that had nothing to do with it, what it actually was. And how really it wasn't until I grew as a person and just learned to say, fuck all of that, um, I basically had to reject that narrative in order to write my own. And I started thinking about when I was a teenager and pregnant and the internet was kind of a baby, I'm dating myself here, um, you know, I would look up different things. Like I was so hungry for stories from girls like me. You know, I wanted to hear about like trying to eat for two in the shitty high school cafeteria and like what it felt like to juggle like college and a toddler, what it feels like to have an empty nest when you're 36. But all the stories I could find out there seemed like they were written about me. They were cautionary tales, but nobody, it didn't feel like there were that many places where there were people telling their own stories. And so I reached out to the editor of one of my favorite lit mags that's geared towards parents, and I pitched the idea of a teen mom and like teen non-binary parent um, column that could just occur where we could actually share our own stories. Because the whole thing is, I feel like shame can't survive in the face of honesty and compassion. And that's the whole thing with storytelling, that's the whole thing with all of this, is that once you know someone's story, you can't be afraid of them, you can't think of them as different than you, because we've all been through some shit. And she accepted my offer, and I, you know, I've been working on the column for a few years now, and I've featured stories from teen moms that are writers and artists and activists that have written novels and comic books and just plain old you know, people raising their kids. And the thing is that we're all different, but none of us are the nobody that the world told us that we were. And if I could do anything differently, I was wrong about a lot of things, but I was right about the fact that there is power in sharing our stories, and I just wish that I'd learned to reject all of that sooner and just be proud of who I am. Thank you.